Well, this morning I'd like you to take a Bible and let's open it together in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 19, as we continue in our study of that great man of God, the man David. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, I'd like to invite you to borrow our copy of the Bible, which you'll find right on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 205 in our copy of the Bible, or uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19 in your copy of the Bible. Now, I've got a question I want to begin with today, and the answer is not immediately obvious, so you need to think, okay? Think about this now. What do General George Patton, Al Campanus of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Pharaoh in the Bible, Jimmy the Greek, Dr. Joycelyn Elders, Senator Alphonse D'Amato, former Governor William Weld, and golfer Fuzzy Zeller all have in common? Think now. What do they all have in common? You got it? Answer. Every one of them, their mouth got them in big trouble. (laughs) Think now, right? Now today we want to look at uh, a guy in the Bible who used his mouth differently. A guy in the Bible who used his mouth in, in a positive way, who used his mouth in a constructive way, who used his mouth as an instrument of healing instead of as an instrument of destruction and harm. And then we want to try to extract from the Bible some principles for biblical mouth control for us today here in the 20th century. So let's see if we can do this today. And my goal is to change the way you talk for the glory of God, because of what we learn here today, and also myself. So, let's look. First Samuel chapter 19. Remember, Saul is out to kill David. He's paranoid. He sees David as a threat. And we pick up in verse 1, chapter 19, And Saul told his son Jonathan and all of his attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David, and he warned him, and he said, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. So be on your guard tomorrow morning, go into hiding, and stay there. Because he really cared about David, Jonathan came to David and he said, Now David, you need to head for the hills, man. You need to get out of town, buddy. You need to make yourself scarce, my friend. Or as we say here in Washington, you need to be unavailable for comment for the next few days. And I am going to go talk to my dad and I'll find out whether I can make, you know, make things better for you. Because I'm your friend. So verse 3, and he said, I will go and I will stand with my father in the field where you are and I'll speak to him about you and I will tell you what I find out. So Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. You know, that's a marvelous sentence. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul. In fact, when the Greeks translated the Hebrew Old Testament, they used the word here, eulogia. We get our English word, eulogy. And what they translated it, and they said, Jonathan eulogized David to his father. Now, the sad thing is that most of us, when we think of a eulogy, we think of somebody standing up saying nice things about a dead person. And the person's dead and they're gone and they can't benefit one bit from all the nice things being said about them. The neat thing about Jonathan is he eulogized David while David was still alive, while David still could benefit from some of the nice things that he was saying about him. And I want you to see the power of this kind of constructive, positive speech. Uh, Verse 4, let's pick up in the middle. And he said to his father, Father, do not let the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his own hands when he went out and killed Goliath. 
and the Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, and you were glad, why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David and kill him for no good reason? And the Bible says that Saul listened to Jonathan. And he made an oath to Jonathan and he said, As sure as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan went and called David and told him the whole conversation. And he brought David to Saul and they hugged, I guess, and they, 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 they made up. And David was with Saul as before. Now we all know this is going to be a temporary state of affairs. That before long, Saul is going to break this oath and he's going to go after David again. But would you notice that at least for a little while, at least temporarily, the fact that Jonathan went in and spoke so constructively and spoke so so complimentarily about David, that for a little while it brought harmony, for a little while it brought peace, for a little while it brought some reconciliation into that relationship of these two men. And you know, things haven't changed in 3,000 years. Human nature is still the same. If you look in your office, if you look in your neighborhood, if you look in your school, if you look in your family, you will still find that the people who are peacemakers are people who always have a nice word to say about somebody, who always have a complimentary thing to say about somebody. And if you look in your office, in your neighborhood, in your school, and in your family, you will find that the conflict makers, the warmongers, are still the people who've always got a nasty thing to say about everybody and a negative thing to say about everybody. Human nature has not changed. If you want to promote peace, one of the ways to do it is to speak well of other people. Jonathan did this. He was a eulogizer. He was a peacemaker in the way that he spoke. And God loved him for this. And God blessed his life for this. Now, that's as far as I want to go with the passage. But it leads us to ask a really important question, doesn't it? And what's that question? So what? Did, we, did you all, were you all with us on this? I didn't hear a lot from over here. Let's try again. Ready? What's the question? Now, you all were weaker on that. But twice is enough, so let's go on. All right, so what? What difference does this make to my life, Lon? What happened between these people doesn't affect me one bit. Well, yeah, it does, and I'm going to see if I can tell you how. A few years ago, Brenda and I were invited to this party by a, a couple, a host and a hostess. And, and uh, we went primarily because of our friendship with them. We didn't know anybody at the party. And don't you hate going to parties where you don't know anybody? I hate that. And because and I never know what to say or what to do, and I feel stupid the whole night. So Brenda said, no, we need to go because it's really important. It's a way we can show support for our friends. And so I went. But I was in a pretty grumpy mood, i got to tell you. I was, not, I was not a happy camper to be there. So the host and hostess are introducing us around all these people, yada, 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 yada. And they take us up and they introduce us to this one guy and his wife. And the guy's name was John somebody. Never did catch his last name. Had no idea what the wife's name was. And we're standing there talking this couple and Brenda and me and the hostess, as it was, we were all talking. And the hostess says to me, she says, as part of the conversation, she says, well, now, you know, Lon is a huge Redskins fan, aren't you, Lon? And I said, no. Uh, ever since Joe Gibbs left, I mean, the team has just gone downhill. I don't know if anybody agrees with me, but, pff, you know, no. And she said, yeah, but when I get you tickets for the Redskins, because sometimes she did. She said, I know you love going. I mean, you just enjoy going to the games, don't you? And I went, not really. I said... You know, they are so pitiful. They are so awful that when I go and I get so frustrated watching them, it's almost best not even to go. So the wife, John's wife, 
whose name I have no clue, speaks up and she says, she says, well, she said, I, I do think they're on the road to improving, don't you? And I said, no, no, no. I don't see any hope for them up ahead with the personnel that they're picking. And I said, I don't know who's running the, the general office and picking the personnel, but somebody in that office needs to get a life. Now, I told you I was grumpy. So we, we went on a little bit and John seemed to lose interest in the conversation and he kind of wandered away and, and his wife wandered away and we're standing there and suddenly about a minute later the hostess comes up to me, she grabs my arm, she digs her fingernails into the inside of my arm. She says, do you know who that was? And I said, yeah, it was John somebody. She said, no, she said, you numbskull, that was John Cook, the president of the Washington Redskins. <laughs> I said, really? She said, yes, really. I was like, oh, well, there go my season tickets, I guess, huh? When I was growing up, my parents had a favorite saying they used to say to me all the time. It was like a mantra around our house. They used to say, Lon, your greatest enemy in life is going to be your mouth. And they're right. My mouth has gotten me in more trouble than the whole rest of my body put together. And, and I'll bet I'm not the only one here like that. I'll bet some of you have that special knack to say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, in the wrong way, with the wrong inflection, on the wrong word. Am I wrong? <laughs> My little girl goes and takes speech therapy every week. And hers is a physical problem. But I got to thinking one day, you know what? If they offered a course in spiritual speech therapy, I could use it. And could some of you use a course in spiritual speech therapy? Could you? Now listen, if you can't, this is going to be a real short sermon. So can anybody use a court? Yeah, okay, good. So what I want to do now is, is coming off of Jonathan's example. This is a man who used his mouth to honor God, who used his mouth in a way that pleased God. I want to give you three principles that God has taught me about how to use our mouths better for God than we do. Okay? And I hope this will really help you because it helped me. Now, the first one is found in Proverbs chapter 10. Would you turn there? Proverbs chapter 10. It's page 455 if you're using our copy of the Bible. Proverbs 10. And by the way, while you're turning, could I mention to you that the book of Proverbs is a marvelous study. There's a huge amount of information in here about how to use your mouth. If you want a great course in how to talk, just read the book of Proverbs. So, but I'm only going to pick out one verse for chapter 10, verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. I love another translation that says, when the, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Here's the first principle for how to use your mouth better for God? Principle number one is talk less. That's it. I told you, not profound. Just talk less. Just shut up more. I mean, that's it. You know, look what it goes on to say. It says, but the person who holds their tongue is wise. I've been in conversations, and I bet you have too, where the conversation goes on and on and on, and it starts getting a little looser and a little looser, and people start saying things a little more on the edge and a little more on the edge, and you got this weird feeling that somebody needs to say, we ought to stop, but before long, you don't say it, and sure enough, somebody goes over the edge and says something, and everybody there kind of goes, oh, 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 gosh, oh, that, that was too far. 
Haven't you been in conversations like that? Now, usually I'm the person who said it that everybody goes, oh, Lord. But the few times I haven't been, I've said to myself, oh, man, why didn't we stop just about six or eight comments before we got there? And that's exactly what God says. You talk enough, sooner or later, you're going to go over the edge and say something you shouldn't say. We all are like that. So the way to solve that is just talk less. If we open our mouth less, we've got less chance to put our foot in it. I love the advice that then-presidential advisor Emmett John Hughes gave to then-president uh, Dwight Eisenhower. He said, Mr. President, I quote, he said, Mr. President, never miss a good opportunity to keep your mouth shut. Is that great advice? Never miss a good opportunity to keep your mouth shut. And I'm saying that to my boys all the time. Guys, never miss a chance to keep your mouth shut. You will probably never regret something you don't say. But I'll tell you, there are many times you will regret something you do say. And Brenda stands there and always chimes in and would to God your father would take his own advice. When we go to parties, uh, Brenda's wonderful at this. She really does. She, she's wonderful at this. And she always says to me when we go to parties, Lon, remember what James said in the Bible. Be quick to listen and be slow to talk. She said, let me give you some advice. She said, when you go in there, ask about other people. Ask how they're doing. Ask what's going on in their life. Ask what they're interested in. Ask what they care about. Let them talk. You just stand there and listen. And first of all, they will think you're the greatest conversationalist at the party because people love to talk about themselves. And second, you can't get in trouble if your mouth's shut, Lon. Great advice. I'll pass it on to you. If you want to use your mouth better for God, my first piece of advice from the Bible is just simply talk less and listen more. Number two is found in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Would you turn there in the New Testament, the letter Paul wrote the church of Ephesus, chapter 4. If you're using our copy of the Bible, it's page 829. Ephesians chapter 4, page 829. Look at verse 29, if you would, with me. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Here's what it says. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building people up, that it may benefit those. I love one translation says that it may give grace to those who listen. Here's principle number two. Principle number two is, yes, it's a good thing not to talk as much as you do. But sooner or later, you and I have to talk. And when we do have to talk, principle number two is talk graciously. Talk graciously about other people. Uh, find something nice that you can say. Say things that restore people. Say, say people that things that preserve people. Say things that shelter people's feelings. Say things that protect other people instead of saying things that slice them up. This is why Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says that our conversation should always be gracious, seasoned with salt. We have a saying around our house. We say this to our children. We say, if you can't say something nice about somebody, y'all finish it with me. Don't say anything at all. Your mom told you that too, right? But you know what? All that does is get us to the place where we can't say anything our whole lives. What, when we've we got to say something. So we added to that and we've added this little phrase. And when you do say something about somebody, always make sure that it's nice. Find something nice to say about people. Now, the reason this is so important is because our tongues have an unbelievable destructive potential to them. 
And James tells us about that. I want you to turn back to James' letter, which is page 855 if you're using our copy of the Bible. Let me show you what James says about this. James chapter 3, page 855. Have you ever seen these forest fires out in California, you know, on the news? You ever seen these things where, I mean, there's just hundreds and thousands of acres are being chewed up by this fire. People's homes being destroyed and they're bringing in helicopters with these big buckets on them and dropping fire retardant all over it. And you've got thousands of firefighters out there fighting this thing. You know, that whole thing started from one little spark, from a campfire or a match or, a, a, you know, a lightning bolt, started that incredible inferno. Now, James says, your tongue and my tongue is exactly the same. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. Consider what a great forest can be set on fire by a little spark. Our tongue, verse 6, is just like that fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body, and it can set the whole course of a person's life on fire. And what God is telling us, friends, is that our tongue has an unbelievable potential for destruction and damage to people. We can work for years to build up a relationship with people, and with one unguarded word, one thoughtless word, one unkind statement, we can ruin the whole thing. You say, but I can always go back and say I'm sorry. Yeah, you can, but you know what? Sometimes after your words or my words have pushed him off the wall, it's not that easy to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We can do incredible personal damage. And to our children, the power of our tongue to damage our children is unbelievable. And what that means is, when we open our mouth, God wants us speaking graciously because when we don't, we can destroy, like a forest fire, everything around us. There's a very intriguing verse in the Bible. For years, I had no clue what it meant. I think I finally figured it out. But it's in Proverbs. Listen to it for a second. And it's an incredible insight into human nature. Listen. Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a gossiper are like dainty morsels that go down into the innermost part of the soul. Listen to that again. The words of a gossiper are like dainty morsels of food that go down into the innermost part of our soul. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means, friends, I think, is that God is telling us we just love to hear bad stuff about other people. The way our human nature is wired, gossip is like filet mignon. It's like dainty morsels of food that we just love to go... And just We're like Pac-Man when it comes to this stuff. We love this stuff. We just want to eat this stuff and chew this stuff. And the worst part is, look what it says. It says that it goes down into the innermost parts of our soul when we take that kind of gossip in. That negative stuff about other people. We eat it. Yum, 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 yum. And then we swallow it. And then it goes way down deep inside of us where it's almost impossible to get it out. And when we go around saying negative things about other people, we are planting this stuff in them that goes way down in them deep, and they have to struggle incredibly difficultly to get the stuff out. I know about that. It happens to me all the time, because people tell me negative things about others all the time. You know, in eight, 18 years ago, when I was getting ready to come here as the pastor of McLean Bible Church, I had lunch with a guy over in Maryland... <clears throat> And we were just sitting having lunch, and he happened to know a man who came here to McLean Bible Church. I didn't know the man. And in the process of the lunch, he made a very unflattering comment about this man. 
Now, he wasn't trying to be mean or, or, or offensive, but he just made an off-the-cuff off comment that was incredibly unflattering. I came over here to McLean Bible Church, and the very first time I met the man in the foyer, what do you think was the first thing that popped into my mind? The first thing was all this unflattering information this guy told me about the guy. And that's the first thing I thought about. <clears throat> and every other time I would meet the guy, well, every other time his name would come up, the first thing that would pop in my mind was this negative stuff I've heard about him. You know that man still comes to McLean Bible Church, and I love the man, and we've become good friends, but it took me years to root all of that gossip and negative stuff out of my heart so that I could approach the man and give the man a fair chance, without prejudice, to show me who he really was. Now, why do I want to put myself through that? That was hard to do that, and it was unfair to that man. And the guy who told me probably two days later didn't even remember he told me. But he left me in prison to that gossip that I had to struggle to get out of. And I made a pact with myself after going through that experience that I wasn't going to listen to that kind of nonsense anymore. And if somebody started telling me negative stuff about other people, I was going to stop them. And even if they said it before I could stop them, that I was going to always remind myself there are two sides to every story. Lon, don't play Pac-Man with this. Don't eat this. Don't swallow this. Don't ingest this. Don't let this go down in the innermost part of your soul because there are two sides to every story. You better get the other side before you believe anything, son. And that has served me well in my years of the pastorate. It's why I'm able to interact with people and treat them right, because I don't listen to gossip about people. And in the same way, I try hard, although I'm not always successful, not to gossip to other people and then give, put other people in the same prison. I don't want people to put me in. Friends, the destructive power of the tongue is unbelievable what we do to people. And that's why God says, if you're going to talk, talk graciously. Find something nice, beneficial, complimentary to say about somebody and say that and keep the other stuff to yourself. Third and finally is right here in James chapter 3. Let me read it to you. Look at verse 7. Third principle of how to use our mouth better for God. All kinds, verse 7, of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. Verse 8. But nobody can tame their own tongue. It is, the Bible says, a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know what this is telling us here in James 3? It is telling us principle number three. Make sure that we are dealing with the problem, not the symptom. You say, Lon, what do you mean by that? How many of you here have ever been to the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame? <laughs> there actually is such a thing. Anybody here been to the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame? No? Well, it's in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It actually exists. I've never been there. And I guess they have in there, you know, all kinds of, you know, cowboys and cowgirls that have done fabulous things in rodeo. I wouldn't know. I'm not into that, but whatever. But you know what? There's one surprising member of the Rodeo Hall of Fame that you might not think. It's not a cowboy and it's not a cowgirl. It is a Brahma bull. And he is a member of the Rodeo Hall of Fame. His name is Red Rock... And the reason Red Rock is in the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame is because 309 cowboys tried to ride him for eight seconds, the minimum eight seconds, and not a single one of them ever did. He threw 309 cowboys. Every cowboy that ever got on his back came off before eight seconds. And he, as a result, made it to the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. Well, it takes all kinds, I guess. Anyway... 
When I read this story and I thought of James chapter 3, you know what I thought? I thought, here's the point God's trying to make. Friend, you have red rock living right behind your teeth. Untamed. Unrideable. I have red rock living right behind my teeth. And every human being in this world has red rock living right behind their teeth or their dentures, one or the other. He lives right back there. He is untamable, out of control, unrideable. Now, you know why your tongue's out of control? I'll tell you. It's just a symptom of the real problem. It's not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what Jesus is telling us is the real source of our problem. It's not our mouth. It's our heart. The reason you and I say some of the negative things we say is because we feel them in our heart. The reason that we do with our tongue what we do is because that's what lives in our heart. And that's ugly and it's not nice to face, but it's true. And if you change your heart, your mouth will follow. The real, so the real problem is not your mouth, it's your heart. Mine too. Now, you say, well, Lon, how do you change your heart? I mean, it says right here, nobody can do that. We just read it in James chapter 3. No, what James is saying is, nobody in their own power and strength can change their own heart. But the wonderful news of the Bible, the wonderful news of the gospel is, that when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when we become personally connected with Jesus Christ, one of the great benefits is that the Spirit of God Himself comes to live inside of us. He takes up residence inside of us. And he does have the power to change your heart and my heart. He does cardiac surgery for a living, folks. And if we cooperate with him, he will change our heart. And remember, as our heart changes, our mouth will change too. Now, a couple things you and I have to do to cooperate with him if we want our heart changed. You say, what are those, Lon? Number one, we need to make him the ruler of our heart. We need to put him on the throne of our heart. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. Now, that's a great bumper sticker. Because God didn't sign on to be co-pilot. He didn't sign on to be right seater here. He signed on to be left seater. And if we make Jesus Christ the, God, the, the, the king of our heart and place him on the throne of our heart and yield control of our life to him, then the Spirit of God is able, has access to go to work changing our heart. As long as we want to run our heart and be in the pilot seat, the Spirit of God has a hard time doing much. The second thing we do to cooperate is we get on our knees. We get on our knees and we ask God and we beg God. And we plead with God to transform this sinful red rock that lives inside of us into something that's under control. And something that can be tamed and something that can be uh, domesticated and used for the glory of God. Because the way our human nature is, it cannot be used for the glory of God. God has to domesticate it. Where are you going to ask God to do that? Man, we need to be on our knees asking God. And third and finally, we need, if we want to cooperate with God, we need to be saturating ourselves with the Bible. Because if God's going to change our heart and make it like the heart of Jesus so that our words become like the words of Jesus, he needs to change our worldview. And the secret to changing a person's worldview is, comes right out of the word of God. If you want God to make you into a kinder person, if you want God to give you a deeper sensitivity to the feelings of other people, if you want God to, to increase the value of people in your sight so that you don't step on people and slice people up, if you want God to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, 
Friends, that comes by immersing ourselves in the Word of God. If you want to be a servant to others, servants don't slice people up with their words. People who walk around displaying their power do, but not servants. All of those, all of those worldview changes come because the Word of God begins to dominate our life. So, you may have the Spirit of God living inside of you, my Christian friend, but you need to cooperate with Him if He's going to change your heart. By number one, making Him pilot, not co-pilot. By number two, asking Him to change your heart, telling Him you want that. And by number three, immersing yourself in the Word of God so He can change your worldview. And if you do those things, I promise you, God will change your heart. Remember, God wants to. You're not trying to talk Him into doing something He don't want to do. He wants to change your heart. If you'll cooperate with Him, He will. And remember, as your heart changes, what? Your mouth will follow. Don't, don't attack your mouth. Your mouth's just a symptom. Attack the real problem, which is your heart. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's a great lesson here for you too. Because, you know, I meet many, many people uh, in my travels who tell me, well, you know, Lon, I'm really trying to change my heart, man. I'm trying to get my life under control, man. I'm really trying to pull my, get my act together. So when I get my act together, I'm ready to go to God then with my act together and do business with God. You know what I tell those people? I tell them, hey, friend, you got it exactly backwards. You are never going to get your act together. You are never going to get control of your life. Red Rock lives inside of you, friend, and you're not riding him. It's not going to happen. The neat part about the Bible is God says he wants us to come to him when we're out of control. It doesn't bother him. He doesn't expect you to get yourself under control. He knows you can't do it. And he wants you to come to him out of control. That's fine. Because what he will do is he will put the Spirit of God in your life and supernaturally give you the resources you need to get your life under control. So if you're waiting to get your life under control to come to Christ, you ain't never coming to Christ. Come to Christ out of control. That's what I did. And then you get the Spirit of God to help get you in control. Well, something to think about. Let's review what we've learned today. When you go out today and it's time for you to open your mouth, what lessons have we learned? Number one, think twice before you do. Just talk less. Number two, if you're going to talk, let's talk in a way that's gracious and complimentary and beneficial to other people. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. And number three, you want to change your mouth, friends, attack your heart. Attack your heart and, and allow God to change your heart and your mouth will follow. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have people in your office say, or people in your neighborhood say, or people in your school or in your family say, you know, when we get together and talk, all of us are kind of the same except for Susie. All of us are kind of the same except for Bill. Man, they just, they just talk nicer than we talk. They don't cuss like we cuss. They don't say a lot of the things that we say. Their mouth is just cleaner than better than ours. Wouldn't that be a marvelous thing to have people feel about you? And wouldn't it be a great platform on which you, to tell, on which you can tell them why your mouth is different? That's God's vision for your life, my friend. And if you'll cooperate with him, God will produce that in your heart. Let's pray. Father, every one of us here confesses to you that red rock lives inside of us. Not just behind our teeth, but everywhere. And I am so grateful that one of the benefits of coming to know Christ 
is that we get the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. And even though we can't ride, ride Red Rock, He can. Thank you for your domesticating power in our lives, Lord. And I want to pray that one of the things you would domesticate inside of us is our mouth. And help us, Lord, to speak in such a way that we are a credit to you. And that we make an impact for you and the people we meet by the way we speak. Thank you, Father, you can do this if we'll work with you. And I pray that as a result of being here today, you would motivate us to really seek your face for this change in our lives. Help us talk differently this week because we were here today and had contact with you and your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.